0: Howdy, and welcome to the 10-Week Bible Study. This is week five, day one of our study of Joshua. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Joshua 11, 11. 1-11. Welcome back to the 10-Week Bible Study. Before we get started, I want to encourage you to remember to read Joshua 10 times in the 10 weeks that we have during the study. It really can transform your life in God and His Word. With that, let's go ahead and pray before we start today. Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us. Jesus, speak to us from your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's go ahead and jump into God's word. I'll be reading today from the NIV. This is Joshua 11, starting in verse 1. When Jabin, king of Hazor, heard of this, and pausing right there, heard of the conquest of Joshua and everybody in the south of Israel. We're going to find out that Jabin uh, and Hazor are in the north. Continue on. Verse one, he sent word to Jobab, king of Madon, to the kings of Shimron and Ashashaf, and to the northern kings who are in the mountains, in the Arabah south of Kinnereth, in the western foothills, and in Naphoth Dor on the west, to the Canaanites in the east and the west, to the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, and Jebusites, in the hill country, and the Hivites below Hermon, in the region of Mitzpah. They came out with all their troops and a large number of horses and chariots, a huge army, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. All these kings joined forces and made camp together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel. All right, so let's pause right there and we're going to take a look at this on the map. If you're watching this on YouTube, I'm going to show you the map. If you're listening to this, I want to encourage you to either go and check out the uh, the YouTube video on this or go to timelybiblecom slash Joshua, and I've got the maps loaded on there. All right, let's go to the map now. And here we have what we're going to call the Battle of the North. And so we see that the King of Hazor, he's right here. He is calling all of these guys together uh let's see he's calling uh Maidon. so this this guy right here the king of Madon, he's calling shimram and ash Akshaph. so these two kings he's getting a whole bunch more people so the araba when it says the araba south of Kinnereth, here is uh Kinnereth on late, on the lake galilee <clears throat> the araba in modern times generally refers to the area south of the dead sea It think uh, "Arabah" means uh, desolate. Uh, but in that time, it it uh, apparently referred to much more um, a lot of the Jordan River Valley. And it, it, it could be that the reason that they would call that area desolate is back in the day before flood control, uh, only a fool would build in a floodplain. And so there wouldn't be any buildings or anything like that in an area that's prone to uh, seasonal flooding, which we know the Jordan River was. And so in this map here, we've got all this area, probably in the flood surrounding the Sea of Galilee, somewhere in there. <clears throat> and uh, we've got Dor to the west. So out here, all of these kings, he's going to gather all of these guys and they're going to come and attack. Oh yeah. And he's also getting people in this region of Mitzpah Let's see, uh, these guys, uh, Hermon is talking about Mount Hermon, which is up here, uh, on th- which is in the modern day border of Syria. Um, the northern slopes of Mount Hermon are actually in Syria now, but all of these kings, they're all going to gather. Now, a lot of maps will show them gathering here in Miram. Uh, there's, some, there's some dispute on this because Miram here is actually in the mountains. And the waters of Niram, uh, a a lot of people think that in ancient times, what we're actually talking about is, um, and I knew I was going to forget the name of the lake, so I've got it right here. It's uh, up until the... um, the 50s or so, this lake existed in what's called the Hula Valley. And so going back to the map here, this area north of Galilee is considered the Hula Valley. I'm going to get rid of some of these things here. So this would have been the Hula Valley right here. And the lake that used to sit there was uh, called Hula Lake. So this, somewhere like right in here, we're going to call it, I'm going to say it was Hula Lake. And in ancient times, many believed that was Miram Lake. And so we're looking at uh, a place here where in the ancient times and this would kind of make sense if the king of Hazor is gathering everyone together. It's very likely, you know, at the waters of, of Miram, it very well might have been this lake. All of the pictures that I have found of the lake, they are, uh, it, it, I don't know if it was a very deep lake in antiquity. It looks like for the most part, it it was uh, marshy. It was drained in the 1950s. So there was a lake there. It was drained. It's certainly marshy at best now, but it probably wasn't a, a terribly deep, deep lake to begin with. And so it's interesting that they called it the waters of of Miram. Um, but this is actually a lake that's referenced in, in a- other ancient uh, non-biblical texts as well, as it turns out. So anyway, they all gather at this uh, lake or, or what we think is probably at this lake. And uh, it says that they gathered this huge army. They had chariots. They had all of this stuff. It says that the army was um, as, uh, you know, sand covering the seashores. And so this is a formidable, formidable army. And they're obviously not there. Joshua and all the people, they're camped back at Gilgal again. Uh, so there's some some ways south of this, but they catch word right. There's scouts and people, and and you don't gather an army this large without quite a bit of communication. And so there's quite a bit of chatter, quite a bit of buzz. This is all going on, and they are gearing up right. They're they're meeting there outside of Hazel most likely uh, to get ready to have a, an offensive campaign. They're not just going to wait at Miram. And wait for the Israelites to come. They're actually mobilizing and getting ready to go. And so this has been uh, some time coming, right? Maybe what we're seeing here is, is you know, he's gathering all these people. And because of the conquest in the south, because of Jericho, because of all these things, maybe that's what alerts these guys. It seems like everybody knows. All of these kings, all of these Canaanite people, they know what the Lord has promised. They know the lands that the Lord has promised. And again, at the end of this week, we're going to spend one special day talking about some of the extra biblical stuff. And it's very clear that the, the kings that were there from this extra biblical text that we have knew that they were on the chopping block. They, they speak with great urgency to Pharaoh about how the the Abira, the Hebrews were about to come take them out. And so they knew the lands the Lord had promised them. And so these guys probably start gearing all of this up. Maybe the moment that Joshua and the Israelites entered the land of Israel and they took Jericho, that could have been the thing that alerted them and they start mobilizing and it takes them this amount of time to get everyone together. But they've got it. And so let's continue on verse 6. The Lord said to Joshua, "Do not be afraid of them because by this time tomorrow I will hand all of them slain over to Israel. You are to hamstring their horses and burn their chariots." So Joshua and his whole army came against them suddenly at the waters of Merom and attacked them. I want to pause right there. This is really fascinating, right? So so Joshua the the all of these Canaanite armies of the north, they're assembling and they've got this massive army ready to start marching south toward Gilgal to meet Joshua and the Israelites. And instead of waiting for them to come and show up, Joshua's like, the heck with it. They're going to come attack us. Let's go ahead and mobilize. Let's go attack them. And so Joshua actually goes on an offensive campaign immediately when he finds out what's going on. The Lord tells him, hey, don't be afraid. I've given them into your hand. So Joshua's like, shoot, let's do it. And so he takes off north and they surprise them. All of these Canaanites that have assembled there, they are not expecting the Israelites to mount on offensive campaign. This, in my opinion, sounds exactly like what happened in 1967, the Six Days War in Israel, where all of these enemies around Israel, Egypt, uh, Syria, Lebanon, uh, or not Lebanon, uh, Egypt, Syria, um, Jordan, uh, Well, there were five nations. I can't remember them now, but the five nations assembled armies on the borders of what were, were currently the borders of Israel waiting to mount an offensive campaign. And Israel had waged a very long and costly war against all of these enemies in 1948 to gain their independence. Um, they essentially to fight on their own. There was very little outside help for Israel against these, these five nations. And so in 1967, when they came back to try and do it again, uh, they were going to try and, and push the Israelites back into the sea, so to speak. The Israelites, the Jews in Israel, they're like, well, the heck with this. We're not going to wait. That was too hard. And so they mounted this offensive campaign and, and, you know, flew jets. They, they weren't going to wait. They flew jets over where all of the military positions were, knocked out all of the tanks, the aircraft, just knocked out everything that these five armies had going for them. So they essentially annihilated the air force and, and, and ground assault capabilities of the five nations. And then the Israelite army immediately started marching in multiple directions uh, they they crossed the Jordan River, ended up outside of Amman, Jordan, ended up on the steps of Cairo, Egypt. I mean, they made time really fast. And in six days, they completely subdued all five of these nations until the essentially all of the rest of the nations in the world were like, please, please stop before you start World War Three. We just... We just got out of World War Two. We don't want World War three to start, so please stop and so Israel's like fine and they they withdrew uh back to lands They gained some land in in the whole process, ended up giving some of it back later, like the Sinai Peninsula back to egypt uh later, but they held on to that for a while but anyway the, all of this reminds me of that is that they've got this massive army like this they are so outnumbered they are are so outmatched in this. And they're just like, well, we're just not going to wait. We're not going to wait for them to attack us. We're going to go get them. And and how brilliant a victory uh, this was. Continuing on verse 6 again, uh, or verse 7. So Joshua and his whole army came against them suddenly at the waters of Miram and attacked them. Verse 8, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel. They defeated them and pursued them all the way to greater Sidon. To Misrafoth Mayam and to the valley of Mitzpah on the east until no survivors were left. Joshua did to them as the Lord had directed. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots. Now I like I like the symbolism of this, right? The the horses and the chariots. I mean, these are things that the Israelites could really use. I mean, this is this is kind of crazy if you think about it. This is another one of those things where this actually probably takes more courage to do this than than to go and attack these people in the first place, right? Because you've got all of these Israelites and they have become warriors now. All of these All of these people that are fighting this, when they came out of Egypt, they were under 20 years old. They've wandered in the desert. And so some of these people, you've got people 20 to 40 years old, somewhere in there. And, uh, and, and they're waging this difficult war and they completely annihilate this massive army. They can't count how many people there are. And they've got horses and chariots. And I mean, the spoils of war Who are, they've always been the spoils of war. And, and so you've got all of this very valuable stuff, the horses and the chariots, that's nothing to sneeze at. And so if I'm one of the Israelites, I'm like, Joshua, look at what we've gained in this. We've got chariots now that we can use to defend ourselves against Egypt and other places. We've got horses that we can use to be faster. I mean, this look Look at all of this stuff that we have. And Joshua was like, no, the Lord said he'd give them into our hands. And when we got it, we were to burn the chariots and to hamstring the horses. And so all of these people, they have to be thinking, no, no, what a... What a dumb idea, Joshua. What a terrible idea. Now, I don't know if any of them are saying this. This is me imagining this. Maybe after all of the supernatural things that have been going on, they're completely on board with this and there's no dissenters. But given the track record of the past 40 years of them wandering the desert, I just kind of have to assume that there was some grumbling going on saying, oh man, Joshua, this is like, this stuff is so awesome. Why are we burning it? Right? But he does it. He burns these things. And, uh, you know, David says that some trust in chariots, some trust in horses. And I almost wonder if when David writes this psalm, if he's not thinking about this moment. He's reading through having someone read to him this moment in the story of Joshua. And if that's not the thing that he's thinking about. It's like, holy cow, the Lord gave all of these armies into Israel's hands. They didn't have chariots. The the opposing armies did have chariots and horses. The Lord defeated them. And just to make it clear that we don't trust in chariots, we don't trust in horses, we're not even going to take them. In fact, we're going to burn them and destroy them so that all Israel will know that we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. All right, continuing on verse 10. At that time, Joshua turned back and captured Hazor and put its king to the sword. Hazor had been the head of all these kingdoms. Everyone in it, they put to the sword. They totally destroyed them, not sparing anyone that breathed, and he burned Hazor itself. All right, so there is actually archaeological records of a burn layer in the, the, the ancient city of Hazor. They We know where that one is. Uh, They've uncovered that. There is a burn layer. In fact, all of these cities where that have been excavated and found, where the Bible says that Joshua burned them, there is, in fact, a burn layer in all these places. And so there's really fascinating things going on when it comes to the um, archaeology of of this area. I want to go back to the map real quick and just talk about where everyone fled to. So uh, the battle took place here at uh, Miram Lake. And uh, so they're defeated. And so some of them retreat all the way up to Sidon. Some of them retreat into the land of Mitzvah. Some retreat south. I mean, they're going in all directions. And the Israelites chase them everywhere they're going and overtake them. And it says that they killed them all. Um, They came over here to uh, Misrafoth Maim. So they came in all of these different directions. I mean, they literally ran in every usable direction they could find, and Israel beat them all. Now, uh, as I've promised many times over the last few weeks, we're going to talk about the king of Hazor again when we come to uh, what we're going to discuss this coming Friday. That's week five, day five. I really am excited about, you know, some of the stuff we've got to present in, in, in the, the last day of this week, uh, just kind of talking about some of the extra biblical stuff to back this up. But this is, again, just a fascinating, amazing victory that the Lord gave them. I love the way that the scripture describes this here is that when they came together, uh, that they were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. I mean, that really is amazing and that the Lord's like, just go, just go attack him. Just go do it. I'm going to give him, I'm going to give him in your hand. Don't be afraid. Be courageous, Joshua. Just go attack him. And he does. And it really does. I, 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 I'm sitting in like in, in trying to put myself in David's shoes. And I think this has got to be the thing that he's thinking about when he says some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord, our God and so we will. For the 10-Week Bible Study, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-Week Bible Study podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.